Welcome. This is the Kansas City Star's Deep Background Podcast. I'm Scott Cannon, filling in for Dave Helling today. We're going to talk about technology. And I've got two interesting people to talk with about um, some things that have happened in Kansas City. Particularly, we'll go through the history of Google Fiber and whether it's made a hill of beans a difference here in town. Um, Leah Becerra is with us. She's uh, one of the Star's digital editors, a video producer, and uh, one of our social media experts. And from outside the star, we've got Aaron Deacon uh, from KC Digital Drive. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Thanks Scott. Um, so what we'll do, we're going to sort of walk through the history of Google Fiber and its uh, entry to Kansas City. And then hopefully we'll do that quickly. And then we'll break down whether it's, whether it's mattered and how it's mattered. I think it was, it was in 2011, Google announces to the world, this is the what is now the second most valuable com- company in the world, that it was going to pick a town and wire it to hell, give it the fastest broadband <laughs> that anybody had in their homes anywhere. Um, and that, that was early 2011. About a year later, they settled on KCK. I'm sorry, I've got my dates wrong. They announced their, their moonshot in 2010, 2010. and in 2011, <laughs> they announced it was going to be KCK. A few months later, they decide they're going to add KCMO. And they liked us because, Aaron, we had what? We had nice poles, for That's one thing. Right. Pig, lots of utility poles that, that had room for more wires. That's right. And it's cheaper to hang wires on poles than it is to bury them in the ground. So that's one of the very big reasons they picked Kansas City. Also because we're, Kansas City has been this railroad crossroads, and there's a lot of the backhaul, the, the backbone of the Internet that's laid on um, railroad right-of-ways. Um, we quickly got in disputes over those polls because some of the other utilities that would be competitors to Google weren't real wild about going on there, and there were other issues about working in different zones on the polls. Those were worked through. Meantime, the the competitors, the Time Warners, the AT&Ts, got upset uh, justifiably because they didn't have the same deals that Google did. Google got fast track on the permitting process primarily and some other access on, on construction permits. And Time Warner, now Spectrum, um, complained, along with AT&T, that this was not fair. They, the cities came in pretty uniformly and said, OK, we'll give you the same deal. Those incumbents would still argue, well, that's, that's great, but we've already built most of our stuff. So they, they, they have a long-running complaint that, that Google got special preference here. I think the, the counter is, well, if you're, maybe if you'd have built this sort of broadband before, we'd have given you a break as well. Um, Google starts to deploy it. It, it has these rallies, um, and it, it goes. It defines these neighborhoods and says, "You reach a certain threshold, and um, we'll wire your neighborhood." Enough people sign up, and that Aaron was sort of the first peak at some of the conflict between. Capitalism and the digital divide, right? Um, I wouldn't characterize it that way. Actually, I would. But go um, ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it was. Uh, it didn't seem to me a real conflict. Uh, it seemed to me a um, a uh, <laughs> actually a, a, I hadn't thought about it in, in precisely those terms in a while, but m- more of um, sort of a capitalistic approach to addressing the digital divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, as far as, I mean, t- t- typically, um, 
the telco industry has more or less a monopoly uh, cable also in a, within a market. And um, I, I can't recall other instances of the providers actually giving neighborhoods a choice to have better infrastructure laid in their neighborhood. Well, the difference was if you had a cable franchise in town, part of the, the, the deal you signed with the city was we're going to deliver cable to every neighborhood. Google's approach was we're going to go based on demand and where we have customers. And not surprisingly, those the poorest neighborhoods, the ones on the east side of Kansas City, were the least likely to sign up. They didn't have the money maybe to, to sign up for Google. They didn't have credit cards or debit cards that you needed to sign up. And they, and they maybe didn't have the same appreciation for broadband as the others. And so those folks got left out to some degree. Um, I, I think that's a little bit of a mischaracterization. Um, you know, there were, when we looked at what's happened and where Google's footprint is, I think they've hit about 96% of the available, you know, area where they, uh, had, had reached agreements with cities to go. Um, so there's maybe three or 4% of neighborhoods that, that ended up being left out. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of talk about redlining, um, I don't think 96% is really kind of a, a conventional definition of redlining. Uh, I think that, I mean, when people usually say, you know, redlining, they mean you're going to pick, cherry pick the rich areas of town where there's customers and people who can afford what you're doing. And, you know, you're going to go to maybe those 10 or 15%, you know, kind of top neighborhoods. And that's, that's not at all what they did. Um, I know even in the initial deployment, um, they ended up building out in 17 of the poorest neighborhoods in Kansas City. So, uh, and, and and the other thing I would say is, um, you know, the incumbent providers have pretty widely varying kinds of infrastructure that they deploy. So they may have a franchise agreement that says we need to serve the entirety of the city. Um, but, I mean, even where I live, which is, you know, middle-class neighborhood in Mission, we couldn't get U-verse forever. And we had people saying, man, I really wish we had AT&T U-verse. Well, we're not going to build there. And, uh, you know, when you look at, um, like even if you look at... Uh, and I don't know if you followed sort of some of the recent stuff around uh, SNAP access and, and what the FCC has been doing with, with some of their, you know, um, provisions to make broadband more accessible. But they had a, uh, you know, a program where they'd reimburse up to a certain amount. Um, and I, I apologize. Snap. What were you talking about, SNAP? Well, sorry. Um, Acronym for what? Uh, it has to do with... Uh, um, I can't remember what it stands for. It's like food stamps or, you know, public benefits. Oh, that's so fam SNAP. Families who are on SNAP oh, okay. um, yeah. have access to uh, broadband subsidies through a program called Lifeline. Um, and and I'm, I might get this a little bit mixed up because there are several federal programs that it, and they're all kind of shifting. And with the FCC, the administration shift, it's moving around a little bit. But the, the, the point I was getting to is um, there were houses – uh, that could not be reached with like three megabits down, one megabit up of coverage within sort of this poverty footprint. So, it, uh, you know, broadly and, and to not get too down in the weeds, it, yes, I mean, for, for sure, the incumbent providers uh, are required to give coverage every place, but that is not at all evenly distributed coverage. Um, and and the, the neighborhoods... Uh, that were clamoring for that kind of investment had no option to get it. I mean, there was never a thought put out by, you know, the cable companies or the telcos saying, hey, you know, if you really, if you really want better internet service in your neighborhood, just come to us, get some of your neighbors together, and you know what, we'll figure something out for you. So um, it's, it's always a little bit shocking to me that people 
uh, sort of issue that as a criticism uh, for for Google's rollout, even though, you know, there are a lot of things that were maybe tone deaf and, you know, in, in their rollout that, that maybe didn't kind of go quite the right way. And some of the things that you were talking about in terms of credit cards and, and difficulty, you know, absolutely there were, well, they, you know, they, it wasn't, it wasn't the cleanest rollout in the world. In their defense, they had a, a steep learning curve. They'd never <laughs> done <laughs> yeah, anything yeah. like this. Yeah. And I, and I know all the, I mean, I mean, even, you know, five years later and you look at what, what they've learned and what they've, you know, done and pulled back on. And I think some of the incumbents kind of laugh and they're like, oh, you thought it was going to be so easy to build out fiber. Well, it's not. I mean, we, we, we know that. But um, the the ability to offer uh, neighborhoods the power of self-determination in terms of the quality of their telco infrastructure is, I think, uh, a hugely underappreciated innovation and an almost entirely positive one that, that Google made. Um, and, and I think that gets that really gets lost. Okay, I, I didn't realize their footprint was what you say ninety six percent. I think it's still the pattern is those people had trouble getting access to. The, 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 if there's a pattern of those neighborhoods that got shut out, it's, it's typically that they're poor neighborhoods. Now there are also some neighborhoods I know in the, in the Northland, for instance, that didn't get wired simply because they're they're so spread out that getting to the end of that block wasn't worthwhile to to Google and and. You know, they've got shareholders to answer to, and that's sort of the way they responded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for sure, for sure there are some. Um, and I guess I would say, I mean, to your point, one, that, I mean, they have access to, to the Internet broadly. So, I mean, the other, the other thing I think that gets kind of lost is we're really talking about building out a luxury product in non-luxury markets, right? So, I mean, I'll, I'll use the analogy of, uh, you know, people talk about food deserts a lot, right? And, uh, well, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a big problem. There are parts where there's not grocery stores, people can't get access to fresh food. So if, if you imagine Whole Foods came up with a, uh, you know, a program where they were going to go into some of the poorest areas of Kansas City, where the most, you know, sort of obvious food deserts were, and they were going to come up with a new sort of CSA, Community Supported Agriculture Program, where you could get a really low cost package of, you know, uh, of, of fresh fruits and vegetables that were local and organically grown. And, uh, you know, you're going to have free classes on how to do cooking and, and education. And then people are going to get really mad because there were some neighborhoods they didn't build one in. You know, right. well, you only built you only built four or five of them on the east side. Uh, and, and, you know, you're not giving. And why are you charging people, you know, 10 bucks a month for that for that CSA? Uh, you know, I mean, the the costs, because this is another thing, I mean, for, for the luxury type of infrastructure that Google was building, the amount that they brought the cost down from the going rate was was so substantial. Uh, Are you talking about basically what it cost to, to download a, a megabit? The, uh, well, I'm talking more about, um, I mean, so the, you know, when Verizon rolled out Fios, um, and which is go, their own fiber optics their own service, yeah. they, they'd done mostly on the East Coast before this. And I think even still, and I was talking to some engineers last week, you know, people still say, you know, your fiber to the home build out per home was probably about 1500 bucks per home passed. So, um, you know, when Google rolled out, they said they were going to charge 300 bucks a household. They would waive it if you actually signed up for an expensive program or if you signed up for the cheap program, you could pay just just the $300. Um, and and then, you know, they had their different tiers, $70 a month. Now they've got $50 right, a month, $15 a month for your monthly cost. But all of that for what they were offering was so much less um, than, than anything else that was on, on the market at the time. The market's very much caught up with that. 
in, in a lot of places. I mean, you know, AT and T offers seventy dollars gigabit in places where Google offers seventy dollars gigabit for the most part, um, including here. Including here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, we I should remind people that when they first did this, you you, you could buy the uh, gigabit speed alone for seventy dollars a month, and they would waive your installation fee. Yep. But for if you wanted to get, I think was it five megabytes megabits down and one megabit up, relatively slow broadband. If you paid three hundred dollars one time, you didn't have any other internet bill for seven years and maybe beyond. Right. They, they, I think they've dumped that since in the the, the, the rollout more recently. But that that was an incredibly generous offer to low-income families or anybody who just needed some kind of connection to the internet. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and what they've, I mean, so so one of the things they found is is that it, it didn't really work, right? I mean, they still, I mean, even though they had this kind of offering. Aaron's getting attacked by a spider <laughs> in the um, studio right here. Uh, even though they had that that kind of offering, they still weren't getting the kind of uptake. So, you know, again, you, you I mean, there there's so many complicated dynamics in terms of how you think about digital access and, and sort of digital society and the digital economy and how people engage in that. So I think part of the theory was, well, let's make it cheap. Let's make it cheap and accessible and try to reduce barriers. Well, we found out there were a lot of barriers that, you know, that we didn't anticipate or that Google didn't anticipate. And I think other people in the community maybe did anticipate around language barriers or having credit cards or being able to pay or being unbanked, trust factors. Um, but uh, so so just lowering just lowering the cost, you know, or you know, having this three hundred dollar, you know, fixed fee for seven years. Well, if you're a renter and or you're you know moving every six months because you're you know sort of an unstable situation, having uh, an internet connection in one place for seven years doesn't do you a lot of good. Right. Um, so. So th those were lessons that were that were learned, and then there's uh, you know issues about computer access and just sort of just general skills, um, and and comfort level with with using the internet. So, um, you know they've got another product now, um, and, and again AT and T's got a low cost product. Comcast has a low cost product. You've seen an increase in in sort of discount internet products. Um, Google, I think, has has scrapped the, the sort of three hundred dollars for seven years model, and I think now they've uh, identified low income neighborhoods where, in addition to their regular packages, they also offer a fifteen dollar a month package for, I think, twenty five megs up and twenty five megs down, which again is which is, a few years ago we would have thought that's blazing fast. Y yes, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and even now a, and it, it's. It, it's actually plenty yes. for most people to do, That's right. including your Netflix. Yep. Um, so let, let, let's just stick with the chronology here for just a little bit longer. I think it's early, or excuse me, November of 2012. They light up the very first homes in KCK. And then at that time, they start making, shortly after that, they start making deals to expand in the suburbs, increase their footprint in the market. And not too long after that, the incumbents start offering pretty similar deals. Spectrum slash Time, the former Time Warner, still doesn't offer a gigabit, but they do offer much faster speeds, and they raised all their speeds without raising prices, yep. um, which they, they say they did independently, but it was clearly in response to, to Google. AT&T pretty much matched their deal. They had some strings tied about... Initially, we'll, if, if if you do this, we want to monitor what you're watching for advertising purposes, and then 
Yeah, do you know well, what ever happened with that? I have they, they Actually, they, they, they moved off that. Oh, they, they did? They offered it that way for a while, and then okay. I want to say like six months ago, they said, no, we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll give you Snoop free internet for the same price because <laughs> you I think you could buy it for you know seventy dollars with a little bit of of that, that's packet inspection or something like that and right extra, and then if, if, yeah. you, if you paid extra which nobody did we'll give it to you and without any of that hmm. that kind of Big Brother stuff um, <laughs> but across and, and the thing that's distinct about Kansas City's both before and particularly now was that. Most communities had, you know, people thought of it at the time that we had Time Warner and no other choice. Right. And that was sort of true. But as you say, you know, UVerse, the AT&T package, was beginning to pick out cherry-picked neighborhoods where it thought it was economical to do. Um, you've got, um, they used to be Everest, they're now Consolidated Communications yep. in much of Johnson County. They actually offer a gig now, although they say nobody buys it because they can get by with, you know, half a gig. <laughs> um and Google starts expanding. They go into Austin, which in some ways seems like a more natural place to start. It's a little more manageable in size. You've got a research university right there. The idea of taking advantage of it makes more sense. And they expand into, I think they're in maybe nine markets now, but they've also put on the brakes. Um, they say they're not expanding anymore for the moment. Right. And it looks like they're trying to see, can we go wireless? Sort of a fixed wireless broadband. So I'm Unlike uh, when you're walking around with your cell phone and zipping from one tower to the next, the idea is maybe if we beam a signal straight to your home, that we can that way we don't have to rip up everybody's lawns and streets. And I got to tell you, the, there has been some real pain in building this out. I, you know, we've written some stories about people unsatisfied with the subcontractor who ripped up their backyard flooding in the basement, that sort of thing, and not getting satisfaction from Google. That Those are tricky things, sort of the price of progress, but there's no doubt that it's sure. it's, ex, it's not only expensive to do this, it, it can be rather painful. Um, but now Google is is sort of on hold here, and they've had... They, they, well, I don't know that they're on hold here. Uh, well, I think they'll but tell... But they're, they're on hold uh, in terms of adding additional cities. I think the cities that they have committed to building out, they're, they're continuing to build out. Right, but they're not, for instance, they're not adding more cities in this market at the moment. I yeah, think. yeah, I don't think they've added any more up to, what, 19, 22 here? Yeah, I'll, Maybe. Sounds good. I mean, it, it, it seemed like they kind of, uh, I mean, I'd say even before even before they've pulled back at a, at a larger scale, they kind of reached the agreements with the cities here that they were going to reach agreements with. And there are a few that, uh, I mean, like Independence, they didn't. I mean, I think with Leewood, things kind of broke down. And I mean, it seemed like it sort of ran its course here. I mean, that felt more like, okay, well, we've got, <laughs> but in other cities, I mean, I know they were looking at, uh, you know, like Phoenix and San Diego. And I think they said, well, we, we, we might in the future, but we're taking back and looking at the at the business as a whole. Yeah, and I think the signal they're sending, no pun intended, is that they're they're seeing if the technology might advance a little bit and save them money. Yeah, I think I, I think that's probably part of it. I think from the wireless standpoint, there are a couple aspects. So you know, you were talking about wireless into the home, and I know they're doing some testing in the three point five gigahertz spectrum, which I think, and and I don't. Uh, I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here because I'm, I'm kind of making some assumptions, but I think there is part of that new spectrum experimentation that is looking at getting into the home. And then they're also, they bought a company called WebPass, which does millimeter wave 
backhaul. So this is more like substituting the fiber line that would go down your street or go, you know, kind of your, your backbone fiber rather than that last mile fiber that goes, you know, from somewhere where there's an antenna in your neighborhood to your home. And it could be that they find a wireless replacement for one or both or neither. I think that's, uh, but definitely they seem to be exploring what's possible there. Right. And so let's, let's deal with the question. Has it made a difference? So, Leah, you came to Kansas City when? In July of last year. Okay. And did you, you're kind of a techie, you would have known about Google Fiber coming yeah, to town? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a blog post before I moved here announcing the job transition, and essentially I was saying, hey guys, I'm moving to Google Fiber heaven. Um, and a lot of my friends were very jealous of me. And when I got here, I had two days to find a place to live, and having access to Google Fiber was very much a part of that decision. So we turned down um, a beautiful house that we were thinking about renting, partially because of the fact that, yes, it had access to fiber, but it would still have to go through the long process of getting it installed directly to the home, which could take as long as six months. So it just wasn't something we wanted to do. And, and you so you, you got into a Google Fiber place. Yeah, we got into a Google Fiber apartment, and um, it's been really awesome. And my other half works from home, so the install had to be quick, and it was. And, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what it would be like to have slow Internet at this point. Yeah, but so, so, so let's say you're in Des Moines instead, mm -hmm. and you had, I don't know, let's pretend we know that, that it's Spectrum in Des Moines. Would the, you know, 50 megabits, which you probably could get there pretty easily, would having that be different than having a gigabit it probably, in practice? It probably wouldn't feel that different. Um, honestly, most of the devices in our home have slightly older wireless cards anyway, so they're probably maxing out around maybe 25 or 50 megabits per second. Um, and then we have our PlayStation 4 plugged in to the Ethernet cable, so that thing flies. Okay. Um, so that noticeable difference probably wouldn't be there if we were in Des Moines. Okay, and Aaron, I, 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 it's my observation that it that the if if it's there's been an impact from Google Fiber, it's almost been as much psychological in terms of um, forcing the folks in town to look at can we be a tech hub of some kind? Can there be innovation here? And there's been a little bit of that, um, but we're not all dealing with holograms in our living room because we've got this speed. I mean, <laughs> did me, you expect I, that? <laughs> well, I, well, what, what do we expect? I mean, I, I, I can, I, I think I read, I can download either 20 or I can stream either 20 or 40 Netflix movies at a time to my home right now. Well, I'm only, you know, at best I got two TV sets. So those extra 18 <laughs> Netflix movies aren't a, a, a difference to me. I don't have a an MRI machine in my home, so I can't do telemedicine or, or that sort of thing. I mean, th those sorts of wouldn't it be cool stuff may yet come, but I don't see that it, I don't see Kansas City as significantly different on, a, on the tech front than it was, you know, five years ago. That, 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 is, that is surprising to hear. Okay. Um, what am I missing? In fact, in fact, I'm not even sure I believe you <laughs> that, that you don't see it as that different. But uh, I'll be curious to hear you, you persuade me of that. Um, I mean, I think it's uh, 
Uh, and and I, I would agree with the stuff that you, you know, kind of the psychological piece. Um, but I think that has been hugely transformational. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the culture in city government um, has changed dramatically. The openness to experimentation, um, in both from a, uh, an infrastructure standpoint, uh, I mean, you look at um, you know the Cisco and Sprint project in downtown KCMO. Uh, you look at some of the things uh, that are going on with fiber deployments in uh, Johnson County and Kansas City, Kansas. Um, you look at some of the uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem investments uh, places like Lee's Summit are making, um, and Overland Park are making. Um, you look at something like Westport Commons uh, at uh, you know the old Westport High School, which is looking to build the largest co-working space in the world. Um, you know, private investment and uh, just sort of thinking about the ecosystem and, and about tech startups. I mean, startups broadly and entrepreneurial ecosystem is kind of a, you know, a little bit of a squishy term, but you've seen a lot of hard dollars being invested, uh, both public and private side, in those sorts of activities. Um, you look at initiatives like Launch KC, uh, which uh, was really spurred on by, uh, by this activity. Um, they've had now two cohorts of 10 companies come through, many of which have been recruited to Kansas City, um, some of which have been just further along, companies that are already here. Uh, Digital Sandbox, uh, which is a, uh, a, an outgrowth of UMKC's Innovation Center, I think has... Um, uh, funded something like 79 different proof of concept projects, uh, primarily in the in the digital technology space, and it has expanded um, into looking at energy issues. Uh, there was just a piece on NPR actually um, last night that I heard on whatever the evening show is. Robert Siegel, what does he do? In the, I don't know, the five to six. Yeah. Anyway, the, 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 the national show um, that was, you know, with Chuck Kaisley at KCPNL talking about Kansas City having one of the largest electric vehicle deployment charging stations in the country and all of the investments that have been made here in the in the electric vehicle so, space. So take that. I mean, take that example of the local utility in, in electric vehicles. Yep. That's possible without super broadband. Sure. You're suggesting that it's a cultural shift that, 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 that would connect those EVs to Google Fiber in some way. Yes, uh, and and in, in that case, in that particular case, I mean, you know, KCPNL was a partner with Google at, at the beginning. I think KCPNL had that culture, and I think I don't know what the timeline was on when they looked at their you know charging station expansion, um, but I think I think it all fits together. I mean, so when you look at the at all of the assets sort of in Kansas City um, that have. Uh, you know, really focused on thinking about infrastructure and technology change and how we adapt to those as an economy, as a business community, as a um, as a city government that wants to engage citizens, as a sort of public and philanthropic sector, that has all transformed dramatically. And, you know, I think this is part of what you were, were saying with the, with, you know, a psychological shift, but the way that that psychological shift has been translated into real actions and real programmings and real investments, I think, is more substantive than it sounds if you just say, well, people just think about themselves a little bit differently, and I really haven't seen much change. Does that, does that make sense? No, I think your criticism is fair. I, I guess I'm, you know, I, a little bit like Leah's experience, it's, it's somewhat changed things. But, you know, for most people, their lives are not dramatically different when they get gigabits to the home. And that's what this, 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 sure. what this is about is, 
or what, what Google has done is take, and I always use the, t- the term industrial strength internet to your home. You know, bef- I talked to the IT guy at UMKC right before they launched. I said, well, you know, how, what's your, what's the bandwidth to campus there? And I, I can't remember, it was either two gigabits or five gigabits for the entire campus. So that means your block now has an order of magnitude greater connectivity than UMKC did just a few years ago. So, but I'm not sure it's transformed people's homes or their lifestyles um, in, in any significant way. There's a lot of hope for, you know, what does it mean for education? And, you know, we, if anything, the sort of multi-on, what's the, the MOOG, uh, multi-online. MOOC. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Multi-online. With the, where we all <laughs> massive, take, massive open online courses. Right, right. That trend is is is, is shifting it into reverse, and coincidentally during the, the, this time sure. frame, the idea of telemedicine it, it doesn't seem to be advancing at at a, a tremendous clip. And there there is some idea that if if I've got if I'm skyping with somebody, and the the picture is clearer and um, the lag time is less, that that it does make that sort of practical, but then. The problem becomes is that, well, you, you need that high-tech camera in, in your home to do that and a, a doctor at the other end that's willing to do it. Yeah, there's a huge separation right now between the access to Internet that we have and the devices that we have that can actually utilize it. So I went to CES at the beginning of this year, and I looked at a lot of robots that were teaching kids at an early age how to code. I think those types of projects are a result of people have having those connections to faster internet. And I also looked at a lot of IoT, Internet of Things devices for your home. Now, the thing that I notice about those types of devices right now is that, yeah, they seem cool. Yeah, I want a Nest thermostat that will automatically change the temperature of my home depending on whether or not I'm there. I never have to touch it. Um, But it's just not something that I purchased yet. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. And I'm not sure if those devices just aren't attractive enough to put them in our homes yet. Maybe the cost is too much. Maybe there's just this not understanding, you know, how is this going to make my life better? That it's, it's like a disconnect happening right now. Right. Hey, you, Aaron, you talk about this sort of uh, startup culture that it's mm-hmm. fostered a little bit here. Unfair question to ask you off the top of your head. <laughs> is there any way we can quantify the number of jobs? You know, we've got the startup village. Yeah. But is there a way to suggest that, you know, it's it's brought jobs to town that we can count? Uh, I, there is. I don't have the numbers okay. off the top of my head. Um, but, I mean, you look at, I mean, say, uh, you know, the iVerify exit. Um, uh, and, again, we'll preface this. I mean, how, how you tie this back to, you know, a single thread of fiber going to somebody's, oh, you know, well, we laid fiber to this building and then this business moved in because there was fiber there and then they grew from, you know, one employee to 500 employees. It doesn't quite work that way. So I, I, I think that is is hard. Um, but the hope is at least in the aggregate that that happens. Well, yeah. And, and you can, I mean, that's why, you know, I don't, I don't remember what, uh, I mean, I verify came, uh, I mean, they were in, they were in the startup village, then they moved into think big. They were part of, um, uh, uh, UMKC's whiteboard to boardroom program. So they have gone through a lot of the, the, you know, sort of the, the institutional milestones that have, uh, or, or sort of organizational assets that have cropped up to support, 
things like that. And then they had a $100 million, I think, exit to Alibaba. Um, but they're still building their team here. I think they're supposed to, I don't know the number, expand to you know, 100 or 200. So I mean, that's, you know, that's maybe the most prominent sort of tech exit example right. of the past uh, couple of years. And, and just because I'm the resident naysayer here, you could argue that that might have happened. Sure. I think they were probably well along the way before fiber came to town. And the idea of fiber is... I don't think they were well underway before fiber came okay. to town. But, they but, but but the, how much, uh, you're right. I mean, I'm not saying that Having it would have happened or would have not happened. was not key to, to the, no. the sort of genius no. that they came up with. Right. And, and what I, I guess what I'm arguing is that we, we haven't seen evidence that having super fast internet to your home yet dramatically changes people's lives. I mean, I think in some sense what... And what you're saying, and this is, I think people have said this since since the beginning, is, you know, how how fast is is the transition going to be between right now and and the Jetsons, right, or or whatever the you know the amazing future world where you know we have fully made dinners coming out of our microwaves and uh, you know holograms and holodecks and flying cars and 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 everything else and. I guess I'd say, you know, one of the things, and I think one of the things that Kansas City has done a good job of is recognizing really early on that that wasn't going to be the way it plays out. And it's hard to convince people of that message, and you still get reporters kind of calling every year. It's like, you know, oh, well, so where are the flying cars? Do you have the flying cars yet? <laughs> Uh, no, no, we don't, you know, and a lot of talk about the the killer app, you know, for, for gigabit internet. Um and things just things don't happen that that quickly, and I think they they don't happen that um, like like a bolt of lightning. They happen gradually over time. So even to the extent that they do happen, you know, if it's if there is something that is you know ten or fifteen or twenty years down the road that we say, oh yeah, this is something that we couldn't do without you know b bigger bandwidth. It's going to feel incremental in the way that it develops. Uh, I think rather than transformative. But then you'll look back and you're like, oh man. You know, how did we how did we live without that? Or I mean, the, the other thing is, it, you know, even the things that you look at now when people say, how do you live without that? Whether it's, you know, oh, gosh, we've got YouTube, you know, we can watch Netflix and we don't have to go to the video store. Or I can order things on Amazon without going to the store or, you know, I'm sending emails and we don't need to do all these Xeroxes and photocopies. I, I mean, you can say and, and my wife would probably say, well, so what? What was wrong with going to the video store? Why was it so hard to make Xeroxes? Have those things really made your life that much better? I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I mean, you know. Well, well but you, I mean, that, that, that's a fair point, but there's certain efficiencies there that, that, so when I'm not driving, hey, if I'm not driving to the video store, my carbon footprint goes down. So that's a good thing. I'm not losing that half hour of my day. Maybe I'm losing some human contact in the process. But at least I have the choice for those efficiencies. And I, I don't think there's any argument that, that, that that would hold up that having greater broadband doesn't deliver some efficiency somewhere along the line. And, and yeah, yeah, and and I think we have seen a lot of those efficiencies. And talking to you know video producers who can you know were were emailing hard disks or I'm sorry, not like snail mailing, you know, FedExing hard mm -hmm. disks here to the coasts to do post-production work, uh, which was a three-day turnaround, can now do it in a matter of, you know, hours. Um, I mean, that is, I mean, there are lots of those kinds of efficiencies that have been built in by people having uh, access to, to better bandwidth. 
Yeah, but I, 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 and, and you're, you're, I think you're right that we have to be patient. That this is all going to be incremental. You know, the the one of the analogies that made sense that Google brought in is that you didn't have YouTube when everybody had dial-up. So who knows what you would have when you have something that's better than the broadband you have? But that 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 YouTube analogy has yet to materialize. You say the killer app. It's been it's been. You're, you're, I think you're saying it, it, it's been somewhat transformative, but it's been incremental. And I think I can agree it's certainly been incremental. Yeah, I mean, I think you see, um, uh, I mean, I think m multimedia streaming and uh, collaborative working are the spaces where you'll probably see that um, sort of soonest and where you're already seeing it, but maybe not on scale or maybe not as uh, embedded into your workflow to where you trace it back to, you know, fiber or gigabit. And a lot of it happens wirelessly, which, you know, is is part of sort of the increased bandwidth movement. But if you think about, um, you think about the way that people communicate through pictures, right? I mean, so you can look at that at Instagram or Snapchat. I mean, you know, kids, I mean, th there is a whole generation of people who communicate visually in a way that was, you know, would have been foreign to me growing up. Um, and... I mean, I've noticed this even in terms of maintaining our own, you know, kind of blog and website and media channels. I and mean, I'm taking pictures all the time, you know, out at events. And I've got, you know, an iPad and I'll go to a thing and I'll have 100 pictures and I'll need to, you know, put them on our cloud server someplace. And if you have, you know, three or four megabit internet, it takes forever. Um, but it's, it's second nature now, I mean, it, that people are taking pictures and videos of the things that are around them and that they can then transfer those, uh, you know, most people, I mean, you, you can put it on your hard drive, but more often than not, people are storing them someplace in the cloud. They want to have other people have access to those things. So, you know, if there's six of you and you're all at an event, you can all put your pictures in one place. And if I have somebody else on my team who I want to edit those or to go through them and actually figure out which pictures we're going to post on this blog or to take the video, you know, that we took and edit it down into something that we can use, to be able to do that via a cloud server instead of have one machine that everyone comes in and sits at, like that's a huge difference in the way that workflow uh Right. You're also Workflow talking goes. about sort of business applications. So, you know, Leah's significant other is, is able to tap in the advantage here because he's working at home. But, you know, the, your hospital has always had, or not always, but, but had gigabits before. The difference with, what's, the only thing that's really distinct about Google Fiber is that you've got it in your living room. Well, not, not quite. Uh, I mean, hospitals, I mean, there's, there's a big range between your living room and hospitals of the kinds of institutions and businesses who would have access to, to fiber. So there are lots of small businesses or medium-sized businesses who did not have access and have not had access to, to, um, to high bandwidth, cheap internet. But I'm actually really making more of a point about individuals and consumers rather than businesses because um, people live their lives through media. I mean, it's not just me as a having a blog, but it's people who have, you know, post on their Facebook pages right. and on their, you know, um, Instagram. Their, their, yeah. I mean, people use media and curate their own personal created media collections uh, in order to communicate. And, um, you know, if you think about, you know, my, my kids did a, um, a uh, started writing a book 
in Google Docs. There were like seven kids, and they'd each get in there and write a chapter each day or something. And, you know, you don't need a lot of bandwidth for Google Docs. But that idea of working together on a collective project where you have access and versioning and, um, you know, distributed work capabilities in a, uh, you know, just in, in a written doc is, is one thing. But when you start thinking about how you apply that to, to mixed media, high bandwidth streaming content, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. So uh, I don't think it's a, it's a far stretch, and I don't know for sure how much they share, you know, video editing between kids, but that's just something that you couldn't do um, without having good internet. Right. And if they're in, in, in putting videos in their other, you know, high um, megabit media, that's going to make a difference in terms of that. Yeah, or, or gaming. I mean, gaming is a huge... I mean, even to... You know, we got a... Um, I don't remember some Xbox game at Christmas and you got to, you know, you put in your disc, but then it's like, okay, we're going to download. And it's, you know, a 30 gigabit download file that, uh, you know, I went online. So I go, how long did this take other people? And, you know, it takes you know, two or three days sometimes to download that. Um, whereas if you've got, you know, gigabit and you're plugged into your ethernet, it might take 10 minutes. Now, now let, again, let me, let me ask a quick question. Yeah. You, you play games, right? Yeah. Like first-person shooter type games? Ever? Oh no, I'm terrible at those. I play Batman a lot. Um, okay. So, does it give you an advantage over the guy in Des Moines who doesn't have the same I, connection? I normally don't play um, online with other people, so no, it doesn't give me that advantage. But it would, and it could. I have a good friend who lives in Columbia, Missouri, who pays top dollar for his internet because of that advantage. There are guys that don't have as good of a connection. Sometimes they're like. They're maybe on a mobile setup or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, they're dying because their Internet's not as fast. Okay. Lego Batman? No, no. I love I love the Arkham game oh, series. nice. They're fantastic. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe on that geek alert, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll wrap things up here. Um, Leah, Aaron, thanks to both of you for being with us. Um, anybody still listening out there, um, mm -hmm. share us with your friends. Give us a rating. Um, deep backgrounds, your place to check in once a week. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you.